This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, everyone, uh, on this terrific long holiday weekend. God yeah. bless you, Queen Victoria, wherever you are. <laughs> hey, good morning, Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Franklin Proctor. How's things that you're in? We're not bad at all. Uh, we had a brief chat uh, before coming on the air here, and I understand that, boy, the wind was something else at your place the other day, huh? Oh, Generally speaking, the wind is always something else at my place. <laughs> um, but no, the reason it mattered, and the reason I was even talking with you about it was because Wow, gypsy moth larva. So when I say gypsy moth, you think about a moth. But of course, insects um, go through metamorphosis, so they change mm-hmm. as they grow up. And just this past week, with all this heat, the gypsy moth larva have been hatching from eggs in the thousands, tens of thousands. Oh. And when they hatch, they're little, tiny, tiny, tiny little black caterpillars, basically, but they're very small. But they... they um. It's kind of cool what they do. They they can spin a little bit of a, a silken uh, parachute, and they do that, and then they catch the wind, and they blow until they land on a tree or a shrub that's edible. Well, so yeah, uh, you you if you looked around because you're in the forest there, so it's yeah. not like you would ever try and maintain it. But for most people that you know, they have a couple of trees on their property. Everybody after the show has to go outside and check oak trees. They love oak. They love maple. They love birch. Uh, they'll eat just about anything, but those are pretty high on the list, those three, maple, oak, and birch. And they are eating like crazy. There's holes like crazy in the leaves. Oh. Anyway, bottom line is I was, you know, I, I spent a lot of money on uh, things like <laughs> yeah. oaks and maples and birches last <laughs> fall to install on our new property. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I was just waiting for the wind to die so I could get out there and spray last night. Wow. Um, I was spraying... Uh, a very good, highly recommended, completely organic bacteria. Uh, you spray it, it's called BT, so B as in Bob, T as in Tom. Spray this liquid onto the leaves of any trees where you see damage, where you're seeing holes, where you're seeing the larva chewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's mixed with water, sprayed. What happens is the, the, the spray sits on the leaves, and it is a bacteria. <clears throat> the, the little larvae don't know that you sprayed, so they keep eating, and they end up eating leaves that have bacteria on them, and they end up dying. It takes a couple of days. They don't die instantly, but they, they, they will die, and they'll probably have to spray again just because there's probably going to be more arriving. Or, you know, rain might happen and it might wash off the leaves, so I might have to, to spray again. But 
Boy, boy, that was interesting. <laughs> so the mosquitoes were having their way with me last night oh boy. while I was up on ladders in the, as it was getting dark. <laughs> I was praying everything that I could see. So, yes, indeed. Oh. Interesting evening. How How's things? What are you about Well, do you know, what's going on in our place is really crazy. There's this cardinal, male cardinal, who mm. keeps flying into the window uh, oh. of our bedroom. And it's oh. smack. And then he falls and hits the deck. And then he flies on top of a chair that's out outside and does it all over again Mama. you know yeah so uh, I, I you and i are having a chat about this and you tell me it's him seeing himself thinking it's another male card yeah know? and he's, he's having a, a little bit of a fight with himself yeah exactly so i'm gonna uh, and your suggestion i'm gonna put up a piece of newspaper or something so it blocks the immediate <laughs> reflection that That's, he sees. Yeah, that's right. And, and some, I mean, there are decals people will use in windows because birds don't see windows. Like, that's just the reality. They, yeah. they fly right into them. Sometimes, in the case of your bird, where he's, like, going after himself, <laughs> and sometimes it's just because they don't see the window at all. But, um, but oh, so here's a quick aside just before you, I know you're going to want to give the phone number. That's right, um, yeah. <laughs> we put up a blue bird house because I live on a bird highway. And, uh, um, so tree swallows moved into the bluebird house. So I've got a family of tree swallows on the property now, uh, tenants, so to speak. But they are amazing mosquito eaters, so I'm happy to have them here. So they're paying rent in that form, you know? Exactly. exactly. Now, look, I better get these numbers on the air. We've got a full line of uh, callers online already. Oh, nice. But... Those will eventually, you know, drop off. So, folks, get ready to give Charlie Dobbin a call. Here's the number for you in the Toronto area, 416-360-0740. Then anywhere in the province, it is toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Our little mantra goes, call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, let our operator, Carlos, know. He'll pass the word on to me. And just before you get to the air, Waves. You're going to hear that. You get your garden wings. Okay, and you're going to need them for this weekend. Yeah. This is the big weekend. We're coming back to say hi to Julie calling in from North York. In just a moment here, The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey, Charlie, let's welcome someone here from uh, North York, that someone being Julie. Hi, good morning, Julie. Uh, good morning, Frank and Charlie. Um, I think my problem is similar to what Charlie talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I have uh, a hydrangea plant, and the leaves kind of get bunched together so that it looks like a pouch. And then when yeah, I open yeah. it, uh, I see a, one uh, tiny worm or caterpillar and some webs. And is mm-hmm. that the start of the gypsy moth? No, that is a different insect, <laughs> sorry oh. to say. Yeah. Um, um, I'm just I'm just trying to remember what it's called because uh, this we talked about this last year. It isn't yes. Yeah, so that, what that insect does is it uh, arrives onto the hydrangea plants. It's the, not the paniculata, not the um, the cone shaped flowers, but the hydrangea with the round flowers, so yes. macrophyllas. Yes. And uh, it <clears throat> it comes to the growing tip and it stitches two leaves together to make itself yes. a little house, right? Exactly. 
So if you have a lot of hydrangeas or a very big hydrangea, what some people will do is they'll just trim off all those little pouches and then put them in the garbage to try and get the insect out of the, off the property. Um, you can also peel open, as you realize, you can peel open the leaves and mm-hmm. squish the insects that are inside. Um, and I'm just, like I said, I'm just, like there's no, when, when an insect protects itself with plant material like that, there's no way, there's no spray that you can spray on the oh. plant to kill. It does become a bit of a mechanical thing. It's, it's you have to either open and squish or, or trim or ignore. Um, the problem with trimming is that you, you are likely going to have fewer flowers if you trim off all the tips. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is one of the issues there. And I, oh, maybe that's a leaf tear. Funny, I can't, I'm just having trouble remembering what it's called. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, so it is. It's called a hydrangea leaf tear. So T I E R. Um, yeah, they are, um, they're just a little tiny moth. Lay its eggs on the branches in the fall or the spring. And when the eggs hatch, the little black headed caterpillars sew the little leaves together and um, make an enclosure and they feed inside there. So they feed for about 10 days. And then they'll pupate. This is all part of that life cycle, that metamorphosis. And then the moths uh, fly away. There is mm. only the, it's, so it's just now that we see them, and we will see them for the next 10 days to two weeks, and then they'll, they'll be gone. Oh. It doesn't I, well, <clears throat> I've had this plant for years and years, and I'm just starting to notice it. Well, I noticed it last year. Yeah. It's, I think it's a fairly newly arrived insect. Oh. It, I never saw it 10 years ago. But right. I certainly started seeing it about three or four years ago. Um, yeah. So you may have fewer flowers, but of course, keep in mind, this insect is not going to kill the plant. It's the plant um, so there's nothing I could spray it with, I guess, like nope. you said. Okay. No. So okay. you open and squish. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here on this long holiday weekend. Uh, gee, Charlie, we've got a, a note here from Dorothy Mengelson, who tells me, uh, I live in Elmer, Ontario, about a 60-minute drive from London. Can you tell me the best way to care for lavender plants? Do you plant, plant in the sun, partial shade, or fully shaded? Mm-hmm. I bought a few a couple of years ago, planted them in partial shade, but lost them anyway. How mm-hmm. do you care for a, a uh, aloe vera plant inside. Oh, That's she switched too quick. Yeah, wait a minute. Kelly, oh, oh. I didn't notice that. She <laughs> snuck in the second. And so we'll answer the first one and we'll hold on the second. Yeah, let's just talk about lavender for a second. Yeah. A patrolman, Proctor, sleeps at the wheel. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so everybody loves lavender. It's a very popular plant. It's edible. It's fragrant. You can, you know, trim, bring flowers inside. You can make sachets. You can do all kinds of cool things with lavender. So everybody wants to grow it. A couple things you absolutely need in order to be successful. Number one, you need a high-quality, well-drained, fertile soil. So well-drained is in capital letters. That's really important. Lavenders do not want a soggy spot. They do not ever want to sit in, in wet situations. So well-drained, uh, you know, good quality soil. Full sun is best. Uh, so full sun is six hours plus of direct sunlight every day. Uh, it is the best. Be aware that in the garden centers, there's many lavenders for sale. Uh, the staff in the garden centers don't always know what is hardy or perennial and what is not. So keep in mind so-called English lavender, which is, you'll see the species name Angustifolia, or the French lavender, and you'll see a species name which is actually a X intermedia. 
uh, are hardy, should be hardy, should survive the winter, if, uh, particularly down where you are in, in the area of Aylmer. <clears throat> Any other, like Spanish lavender and all those other lavenders, they are annuals. So don't try and, don't blame yourself if they don't survive. So well-drained, sandy loam, lots of sun, get it in the ground, enjoy. Do feel free to cut some flowers when it starts flowering and bring them in the house. But if, even if you don't do that, um, do trim in uh, sort of just post-flowering or pre-winter, sort of August area, do trim off about a third of new growth. So the new growth is this year's growth, the soft green stuff. Never cut into the woody part of a lavender unless it's dead uh, or it's really unruly and it's looking really rough. Generally speaking, the woody older part of lavender is not touched. It's the new growth that we shear back and we round the plant. We make it a nice round plant so that next year it blooms again. Um, and, of course, in the spring, no trimming on your lavender except dead stuff. Okay. Right? Um, we're uh, up to our first break here. But when we return, Charlie, I've got the little bell to ring for someone special there in Georgetown. So stay tuned to The Garden Show with Charlie Dubbin. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, those of you who are watching via your computer will know that I have in my hand a little bell, the Salvation Army uh, bell. It is. <laughs> going to ring it there for uh, Linda calling in from Georgetown. First time caller. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I have a poinsettia plant that was very small when I bought it several years ago, and it managed to keep growing lots of green leaves for a couple of years. And this last fall, just just right at Christmas, it turned red. Nice. But then one morning... I got up, and it was, I, I don't know whether I forgot to water it, but all the leaves had fallen off, but all the red bracts were still there. So I have these real long stems. Can I cut that off and, yes. but, and, and try to root them? Oh, uh, yeah, you could. Um, those are called tip cuttings. When you cut off the tips, you'll need them to be at least three to four inches long. And, of course, you know where the bumps are on the stems are called the nodes, and it's at the nodes that the roots will come from. Uh, you can encourage rooting uh, by using a rooting hormone called stim root, dipping the, uh, the cut end into water and then into the powder and then into moist sand or vermiculite uh, and get some roots growing. And this is the time to do it. But certainly your poinsettia, if you've had it all these years, it would be, it would like to be pruned back. It would like for you to, to do some shaping on it, if you will. You know, bring back, bring it back into the center, balance the plant out, and it will be much bushier next fall and winter when it, when it uh, starts to color up again. Um, that's what I would do. I would, I would just prune it back on principle. Okay. With, yeah, whether you keep the cuttings or not. Well, yeah, I just, it's, it's still alive, and, mm-hmm. and, but these long stems are kind of gangly, and yeah, I just exactly. wonder, I don't have a green thumb. The fact <laughs> that it, it's still alive is a wonder. I was going to say, you haven't had a poinsettia for a couple of years. You have some kind of a green or red thumb. <laughs> so, but, and, and I didn't do anything to it. I just think it, it sat near a really 
you know, a window and it was dark this last yeah. fall a lot. So That's right. Well, that's it exactly. You, you just gave it the conditions it needed by a coincidence. From okay. Some of us, that doesn't happen. They do need that, that dark, dark 12 hours. Uh, so some of us have lights on in the house or street lights outside or something that's causing light on the plant at night. And that's what stops them from coloring up. But you obviously just happen to have the perfect situation. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for calling. Thank Thank you you very much for joining us here on this uh, Saturday morning, part and parcel of the long holiday weekend here on Zoomer Radio. Yeah. I have a note here from Cindy. Now, to my knowledge, I don't think her email included any uh, location. So maybe that might uh, bear some extra thought on your behalf there, Charlie. Anyway, I'm going to self-edit as we go along. It's quite a lengthy little email there. It says, uh, good morning, Charlie. We moved into an older home just over a year ago. Large lot, not much in the way of plants. Last year we had the borders created, dirt and grass turned over, triple mix added. The garden center told us to lay garden fabric and then mulch, which we did. This was to prevent weeds and grass. This spring... Uh, oh, the other thing is now we have tons of mushrooms coming up. Not sure if the fabric is keeping too much moisture, not allowing the soil to breathe. My question is, I'd like to remove the fabric. She says it's a pain to cut and plant, but my husband's pushing back, so there seems to be some uh, conflagration going on here. Uh, <laughs> he's, oh, oh, and this important little note, we're having my son's wedding in the backyard in August, fingers crossed with the COVID situation, and as opposed to the mushrooms. So there you go, Charlie. I'll hand it off to you. Thank you so much. You know, marriage counseling was, was never part of my training, but it's funny how often I do come between couples who are, you know, fighting yeah. over something. Okay. So you're right. Cindy doesn't tell me exactly where she's writing from, but I don't know if that really matters. What does matter is she hasn't indicated how much light gets onto these new borders, so sunlight, direct sunlight, nor has she uh, addressed the air circulation question. Because it's not that unusual to have mushrooms grow because, I mean, mushrooms are, are actually really good. They are part of, you know, the circle of life. They... They are decomposing the organic matter in the soil that was put into these new borders and also working away on decomposing some of that nice mulch that was put on the surface of the soil. So it's it's all very normal to have mushrooms. But you don't want, if you have too many mushrooms, you have to say to yourself, hold on, is it very dark in that area? Is it just really dead air so the mushrooms are able to thrive? Uh, Or are we watering too much? Is it just too soggy? So a couple of things. Keep the mulch away from touching the plants right away. Uh, whether you leave the fabric or take the fabric away, uh, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. It doesn't really matter. I understand it's tough to get through the fabric when you want to do some planting. And I know from experience that if you have curious squirrels or any other little beasties that are going to come floating into your garden to take a look around, they are they uh, will move the mulch, they'll hit the fabric, and then they'll start trying to dig up the fabric. Once they start pulling the fabric up off the surface of the soil and bunching it up uh, into and over the mulch, you're in deep trouble because you can't do anything about it. The fabric is 
sticking up and you can never lay it flat again. So I would probably wait and see if that happens. If it does happen, I would just get rid of the fabric because um, the squirrels, like I say, can really make a mess of a garden. But uh, if, this, if the fabric is staying down, it will help keep weeds down. It will help keep the soil cool. But as you point out, it will also keep moisture in the soil. So be careful with your watering. Don't water unless you can stick your hand in under the fabric and feel, you know, feel how moist the soil is. It, there's no point in watering on principle. Water because plants need water and water deeply when you water and water infrequently. So never, ever water every day. Let things dry out between waterings. And then when you do water, water deeply. All okay, right? very good. Uh, let's go to Dunville and say hi to Chris waiting in line right now. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, guys. Yeah, just a quick thing, Charlie. Yeah. Pressure eggshells and stuff for the tomato plants and, and whatnot. And I got thinking we've got a, a bit of a farm here and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feed the chickens oyster shell. Why couldn't oyster shell work the same way as uh, eggshells? Oh, they could. Well, they the could. thing is, it's cheap to buy. You can buy 10 or 15 pounds of it for, you know, three or four bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a sprinkle of that in the hole. Yeah. would be the same as uh, using yeah. eggs. Oh, yeah, oyster shells. Are, I mean, the reason I guess we don't really bring up things like oyster shells here in Ontario is because we're landlocked. So, so you know, there's lots of great seaweed, fish, uh, like fish fertilizer, fish emulsion is made from, from fish that are just buried and, and decomposed in the soil, add all kinds of great minerals to the soil. Um, and, keep in mind that eggshells, oyster shells, any of the shells, are excellent for tomatoes. They do provide calcium, but they're very slow to decompose. So it's not an instant, you know, shot of calcium to the tomatoes. It's a long process of decomposition. No, you just, if you just sprinkle a little bit of that in the hole instead of eggshell, it should do the same thing, right? Sure, absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, it's cheap as, <laughs> cheap as whatever to turn around and buy rather than buy something fancy in the box. True, but you've got chickens, you said, so I, I imagine their shells are pretty cheap, too. <laughs> well, yeah, we, well, we do use those, but if you plant a lot of tomato plants, well, and, I thought, well, use oyster shell, and if you run out of eggshells to get rid of the black on the tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, no, good idea. Yeah, you want to avoid blossom end rot. You want to make sure you're providing your tomatoes consistent moisture, too. It's not oh, gosh, yeah, you got to keep them wet. Well, keep them consistently not too dry, not too wet. Like, you can't control rain, obviously, but, yeah, you do need to irrigate tomatoes, particularly if we're going to have a summer like last summer or the way the spring is going. It's so dry at my place. Well, Unbelievable. a lot better if they're damper than drier. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Okay, take care, Chris. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of this long holiday weekend. Oh, man, I'm looking yeah. at, her, at an email, Charlie, here from uh, Diane Olmsted says, uh, I'm listening to your wonderful radio show now, and I thought I'd send this in as I'd noticed that my rhubarb, which was planted four years ago, is not really at the point I'd hoped for. What's the best fertilizer for rhubarb? I put sheep manure around it in the spring, but it appears not to be enough. Gets a good amount of sun in the afternoon. Thanks so much, Diane. Mm-hmm. So I think, I wonder if when Diane planted that rhubarb, uh, that first or second season, if she started picking some of that rhubarb to make a pie or, you know, whatever she was making with her rhubarb. Because uh, the trick with rhubarb is you do not want to harvest it too early in its life. You want to let it grow at least for one full season, if not two, uh, just growing. Let it get established. Mm-hmm. Let it grow leaves. Let it grow roots. Uh, and then 
second or third year in, you can, in the spring, of course, start harvesting some of the new tender shoots as they come up. But for your best success, and Diane doesn't really address, she says she's got a good amount of sun in the afternoon. So rhubarb wants lots of sun, preferably direct six hours of direct sun daily. Again, it wants a well-drained and, and good quality fertile soil. Drainage is essential. Rhubarb will rot if it's in a, in a soggy clay-based soil. Sheet manure is a great idea. Uh, no problem. Um, make sure there's no grass growing around the rhubarb. She doesn't mention whether it's in a garden or it's just, you know, sort of popping up out of the lawn somewhere. So make sure it's standing alone. There's no competition around it. Uh, and when it goes to flower, because rhubarb will start to flower, uh, always cut the flower off. You don't want to plant to put a lot of energy into flower formation and seed formation. You want all the energy to go into roots and leaves forever and ever and ever. So just remove any flowers as they appear and enjoy your rhubarb. And, and yeah, remember, gardening is a process and patience is a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I hate that saying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Elliot really hates it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to, uh, to Mississauga now. Marg on the line here. Good morning, Marg. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Chris. Charlie and Frank. Morning. Uh, I called four years ago, and just a little update. Uh, it was about my container rose tree and mm. keeping it over the winter. I'm happy to say that all these summers I've had lots of beautiful roses from your advice. Oh, there you go. So you, do, you bury it every winter? <laughs> my son-in-law does. I'm in a condo, so he has to take it over to his garden. Oh, <laughs> nice. So we're back and forth. Nice. That's great. <laughs> really roses are not well. easy to transport. I do have a quick little question, mm-hmm. and it's about Warner's mix for the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do I still fertilize? I'm trying that for the first time this year in containers. Hmm. Good. Oh, in containers. So you're growing into a, con- a potting soil or a soilless mix. In That's containers. right. You are going to have to fertilize, yes. I will have to Yeah, fertilize. you will, because the, any of the soilless mixes or the potting mixes that are out there, they are peat moss-based or peat-based. They have vermiculite and perlite and other, other amendments, but they have no nutrients. They're not like the ground. So it's very, very important. Any, any tomatoes being grown in containers with a container mix need to be consistently fertilized. And so no problem putting in Warner's mix. No, Warner's mix is, of course, uh, based on skim milk powder. So that's the whole phosphorus and calcium. You're not getting a lot of nitrogen in there or phosphorus or potassium. So you do need a balanced fertilizer as well. Oh, great. Would that Warner's mix work on peppers? I know it's a second question, but it's still <laughs> You sneaky devil, you. Sneaky is right. <laughs> uh, would it work on what? Peppers? Oh, huh. Good question. Yes, it would. Oh, great. Peppers, eggplants, tomatoes are all the same family. So that, that uh, little trick of Warner's would work on any of those plants. Okay, great. You're pretty Thanks smooth, so Mark. Much. I'll tell you. You <laughs> snuck that right in under the fence. <laughs> but okay. with a great compliment, so that's why we let that happen. Exactly. Thanks, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I have an interesting note here from uh, Mary Lou Drohan in uh, Washego, Ontario. It says, um, Oh, this is nice. Hi, Charlie. Love your Saturday morning show. I'm 20 minutes north of Aurelia. Gardens have east-west sunshine. I have seeds and perennials to plant, and they've been holding off because of frost mm. and very cool temps. Would it be safe to plant the perennials? Uh, Eight-inch pot, she says, this week? Hmm. Yeah, and notice the date. She sent this email on uh, May 12th. So I imagine that 
if if she is listening right now, Mary Lou, definitely get out there and plant this weekend. Um, but you know what? Honestly, she is 20 minutes north of Aurelia. So the, the tradition is this is the weekend in the southern Ontario, the GTA, that we get out and we plant everything, whether it's vegetables or flowers or trees or shrubs. Go crazy, start planting. Uh, because we, we kind of assume we're frost-free, and certainly the forecast indicates that, but we have been frost-free for weeks. Generally, where Mary Lou is, we say, wait, wait, wait until, uh, you know, sort of June 1st, give it another week. So check your forecast, but I think, Mary Lou, you're safe. It's uh, been a very, very warm spring, and why not grab the moment and get uh, get on it, get plants in the ground, get them into some good quality soil, you know, water thoroughly. She asked about her lilac. Of course, lilacs need full sun. So get that lilac into a sunny spot and enjoy the flowers. Well, I hope my Shirley is listening in because she is an advocate of holding off until June. She yeah. says because every year you plant before June or on the May 24th weekend, mm-hmm. you get a frost. That's right. Where we are up in the northern part of Stouffville. So. That's right. So you're like the northern edge of the GTA. Yep. So yep. that's why you're right. That's The, the wisdom is June 1st for that area, for where you are and obviously where Mary Lou is. But I don't know. Look at that forecast. I'm not seeing much cold weather coming whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Hey, there's uh, Bob in. Oh, wait, we have to take another break here. Sorry, I just glanced at the clock and uh, I'd be in trouble if I didn't take a break. So let's do that, Charlie. Fill up your coffee cup and away we'll go again in just moments here on Zoomer Radio. It's the Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Boy, Charlie, we've been around the province and then some today, huh? Uh, Let's go to Scarborough this time around. There's Bob waiting on the line. Good morning, Bob. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. It's uh, Bob after... uh... Uh, break. <laughs> but anyway, here's my question. I have some, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm getting old. <clears throat> uh, I have some daffodils and they've probably taken over part of my garden and I wish to move them. I know you have to wait till the blooms die off and then you tie them down and wait till they die back, but I want to move them now. Can I move them out and put them in another part of the garden and let them summer over and dig them up and transplant them out? Uh, so are they still blooming now? No, they're pretty well finished. I just cut them off when they, they yeah. die. You know what? Well, if you really want to get access to where they are right now and get them out of there, what I would do is dig them up. Um, it, it'd be nice to leave them as long as you can, but, but daffs are pretty tough. And then just lay them in a sunny spot. Keep them outside. It doesn't have to be sun, but lay them uh, with the leaves attached and the bulbs, obviously, uh, on newspaper or on the ground or on cardboard. And let them continue to absorb sunlight as long until they wither, all the leaves completely wither. Then just trim off all the yellow leaves. And you can either put the daffs away until later in the summer and then plant them in their new location, or you can plant them anytime now. But, but, but let that process happen just naturally, that you're going to force it to happen faster by digging them up, but allow the leaves to naturally, don't cut them all off until they're yellow. Let the green become yellow, and then once they're completely dormant, you can either replant or, or store for the summer. Well, I thought that maybe you had to replant them to let them regenerate for the winter. But you not, will I... not be successful. Like, you won't be able to move them and have the leaves stay green and, and you know, perky. They, the whole plant is going to collapse once you start to move them, particularly in this heat. Uh, so, well, 
I, I wanted to move them out because I need the space, but I don't mm-hmm. have time to wait till they die down because yeah. I'm so old. A guy said to me one time, how old are you? And I said, I'm so old, I'm afraid to stop because somebody will throw dirt on me. Laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so Bob, just let them do this. Like, pick them up, leave them outside, let them die down naturally, and then replant whenever you want. Don't don't try and replant now. It's, you know, just It won't be worth your while, plus you're you could end up, you could end up rotting because you're going to want to water them when you replant them, and of course bulbs don't want to be soggy, and the leaves are all going to just you know fall over anyway. Great, thank you. Okay. You saved probably fifty dollars from buying new ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Uh, a little Take bonus care. there, the little bon mot you've uh, thrown in there. Kind of neat, little entertainment. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, have a nice note here from Pat Macavella in Mount Hope, Ontario. She says, uh, hi, Charlie. Listen to your show every Saturday morning. Love your info. Question, I received two hydrangea plants about six weeks ago. The blooms dried off, and I cut the remainders off. Have been watering them. They're very thirsty plants. Gave them some fertilizer. If I plant in the garden after hardening off, is there any chance? they may grow new flower buds or should I abandon this idea and just compost them <laughs> right good question I don't have a definitive answer for this one uh, so florist hydrangeas they're the ones that we get on Mother's Day uh, the growers grow in, in greenhouses for Easter and Mother's Day and they're beautiful so it is possible that it could be a hardy enough variety or where you live, you've got kind of a nice protected location where you could actually plant it in the garden. Like that's basically what I've done with some of those forest hydrangeas over the years. Is I just look for a, a spot where the plant will be protected from hot, hot sun because hydrangeas don't want that hot afternoon sun. So morning sun is nice. They don't want big wind. So you, you don't want them in the west facing northwest particularly because it's, it's just too windy, too cold in the winter. So if you've got a nice little eastern location, why not? Tuck, tuck it into the ground um, and uh, obviously you know, water it as you would water any newly transplanted plant and see what happens. It will grow this summer. It may bloom again this summer, not a problem. It may even survive the winter and come back next spring. But I would put some winter protection mulch over it once we've had you know, some, some uh, deep frost. So next November, December, pile some leaves on top or or some um, soil around it the way we would protect a rose, protect the hydrangea for the winter, and it may survive the winter. You never know. All righty. What a delightful day we've got going here, Charlie, as part and parcel of the long holiday weekend. Looking out the window uh, from our Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. Just looks like a beautiful day. And I would hope the same is true in Aden, Ontario, where Carol is calling it from. Hey, good morning, Carol. Charlie and Frank, and no, it's not a beautiful day here, but oh. it's a beautiful day for having put out transplants. Oh. Yeah. Here you go. And a little bit of a mist to rain, perfect. Oh, oh. lucky I, you. Charlie, I, I received an email uh, with a, a YouTube video in it that explained about putting 320 milligram aspirin in a gallon of water, mm. So, but it has to be aspirin because it has to be the salicylic you know the one I mean, acid, <laughs> and spray your tomatoes with it in order to prevent the blight. <clears throat> and apparently what it does, is what it's, this YouTube said, mm. is that it tricks the tomatoes into uh, creating its own immune system and makes the leaves more leathery mm. and supposedly stops. Have you heard of it? I wonder no. if any of your listeners have just 
I'm, 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 I'm tempted to try it, but almost a little bit nervous of trying it. <laughs> well, okay, so that's, there's so many recipes, homemade recipes uh, out there uh, in books and certainly on the web. I have not heard of that. I don't believe you would uh, risk any damage to yourself or the tomatoes by, by trying this idea. Um, you know, aspirin is aspirin. Right. Will it actually work by tricking the plant into be doing something to the, like, basically the, the, the epidermis or the surface of the leaf is, well, there's a cuticle. And so what you're suggesting is that that cuticle is going to somehow change when aspirin is applied and make it a tougher epidermis so that, and of course, what is the, the blight? There's all the early blight, mid blight, late blight that are super weather dependent and they are all fungal diseases. So will the aspirin somehow protect the tomatoes from a fungal disease? I'm not sure. Um, that's a biochemistry question more than anything. But if you wanted to try it, I mean, I wouldn't try it on all my plants. If you want to test it, you know, if you have two tomatoes of the same variety growing in the same area, try um, spraying it on one and not the other. And if the blight does come as the season continues, you'll be in a good position to see whether it makes any difference. Yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't think it would hurt. I'm just not sure it would help. I mean, one of, the, one of the fears I have is that it would make the skins on the tomatoes tough, too. And that's like, no, oh. but, you're gonna, but you would spray now, I think, was the well, theory. Well, you had to do it, keep doing it about two to three times a month. Oh, God, that's a lot. Um, anyway, yeah, okay, I don't think that. You know what, I would worry about uh, impact on the soil if you're spraying that much. Okay. So, you know, aspirin is, the original aspirin was actually, originally came from willow trees, so I guess, I don't know, it's a synthetic, uh, you know. It's a naturally synthetic one, is that what you're saying? Well, naturally, <laughs> aspirin exists in nature, but when we buy the pills, that's a synthesized version yeah. of, yeah. of na nature's chemical. Okay. So I'm just not positive whether I'd want to, you know, sort of spray that often. I just worry about I'm a big fan of moderation, so spraying yeah. two to three times a month doesn't sound like a very moderate approach. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'll give it a try, and if I'll yeah, let, if I, let if me I know. Determine anything, I'll let you know. Yeah, and, that's great. We look okay. forward to that. Thank, Thank you very much for uh, calling in the Garden yeah. Show. Uh, by the way, Charlie, we we are up to our next break here, mm -hmm. and uh, in the next segment, we're going to be saying hi to Lorraine calling in from Cambridge. So hang in there. We'll be back to you in just moments on the Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we're delighted to welcome Lorraine to the line here from Cambridge. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I have Solomon seals. I've had them for more than oh, 30 years. Um, they are about three feet tall. Um, they're now only about a foot and a half or less, and that's because they've spread so thickly. So I was wondering, uh, that's also on my rock, it's in my rock garden, and it's mm. under a big maple tree, lots of rock and lots of roots, mm. and I can't dig them up very well. Can I, if I cut them off as close to, to thin them out by cutting them off as close to the bottom as I can? But what mm. would you suggest? Um, that could work, um, because basically if you do cut them off as low to the ground as you can, 
you will be starving the plant of its ability to photosynthesize. So it, it could work as a thinning idea, but you're right, because they, they can grow. I've seen them growing up out of, like, cracks in the sidewalk. Um, you know, they are oh. just, uh, you know, a very, very vigorous, um, you know, capable plant. Um, yeah, so how otherwise, I mean, you could get some horticultural vinegar, which is used as a, as a non-selective herbicide, and you could spray very carefully when it's not windy any of the ones that you want to kill because it, wow, it, it, it can be a real headache in terms of invasiveness. Yes. Well, they're pretty well controlled by the sidewalk and the driveway, and, you know, that way they're not spreading out, but they're thickening within their own little spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so that's why you just want to thin them rather than eliminate them, it sounds like. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes yeah. I like so, them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and they're great. They do fill a shady spot. <clears throat> yeah, people sometimes struggle with you know dry shade and what do I grow? What do I grow? And Solomon Seal will grow in any kind of shade. So they and they're deer resistant for anybody who has issues with deer. So um, so yeah, um, certainly get in there, crawl around on your hands and knees, cut off at ground level, thinning them out. Also, amend the soil if you can get some organic material because remember the soil does become depleted over time. So it's okay. Important. So what is it? Or get, get some composted manure, some kind of good organic uh, amendment into, in and around the plants. If you want them to be bigger and fatter and juicier, you've got to feed them by feeding the soil. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank Thanks you. All righty. Um, we can kind of wind up the show on this uh, email. And by the way, congratulations to Ruth in Port Dover for telling me that you're a first-time emailer. That gets you the bell. Okay. Question is, after spring hyacinths hyacinths have had their natural death, can you dig them up and replant in a different location in late spring, or is it better to dig up and let the bulbs dry out and plant in the fall? Right. So this actually is exactly pretty much the same question that Bob just asked from Scarborough about his daffodils. So he wants to dig them up. He wants to get going into that area for some planting, and those daffodils are in the way. And it sounds like the same thing is happening here uh, in Port Dover. So, yes, you can do either. You can dig them up now, uh, <clears throat> lay them out on the ground. Best if you can let them die back to their natural uh, green leaves. Need to, <clears throat> excuse me, fatten up bulbs in order for the bulbs to bloom next year. So best if you can leave them. Uh, and then once you know, you know where they are, they're yellow leaves still sticking up above ground, then dig them up and then just put them away for the summer. Replant later in the summer if you wish or replant right away. Um, but usually it's better to plant them later in the summer because we have a tendency to overwater and rot them when we, when we uh, plant, replant them in, the, in this time of year. So uh, that would be my suggestion is to hold on to them till the end of the summer after you dig them up. Okay. From my vantage point here in this studio, I'm glancing through to the main control room where Alan Gelman, uh, who is uh, part of the crack team with Dave's Corner Garage, he's employed uh, another chap, a rather tall gentleman, to help him scour the entire room there with cleaning solution. Oh, so, great job. Great job. Okay. <laughs> Meantime. Come in your studio and clean. Oh, yeah. I can see them on video. Yeah, they're scrubbing away there. Oh, I know. I know. No rest for the wicked, I guess. 
guess. <laughs> you know, Charlie's been a delight uh, talking to all the listeners this morning and listening mm-hmm. to the various problems that you have helped solve. Yeah, and I hope you. you're going to have a nice week away from gypsy mods. Uh, I hope so, too. Yeah. And, and just a quick, I wanted to mention, uh, people keep sending emails, and uh, Carol, with her aspirin YouTube video, forward that to me, c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. And yes, indeed, yeah. Frank, you going to get any planting done this uh, weekend, or you uh, lie, lie in the hammock? Lie in the hammock. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't lie. Why should would I fib? <laughs> Beat off the raccoons. Look after that bird feeder. Okay, okay. buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Frank. Couldn't do any of this without you. And thanks to all our great callers. Thanks, Carlos. See you all again next, next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.